Good morning. Good morning. I hope you're doing well, whoever you are that's joining us this morning, whether you're one of our brothers and sisters from Forest Hill Presbyterian Church, or a brother or sister from another church, or just somebody who's checking out today's Bible study in Jarn, Jarn, <laughs> Mark, sorry, Mark chapter 11. Uh, I'm Michael Talercio, I'm the pastoral intern of Forest Hill, and uh, we're walking through the word one chapter per day with Jesus. And so uh, we have a bit of an easier text today, I will say, than Pastor Jason had yesterday. Um, if if you didn't get a chance to check out yesterday's a devotional, I encourage you to. Pastor Jason handled a a challenging one uh, that that I didn't have to, uh, thankfully. But um, yeah, we're, we have a, a slightly more straightforward text today. And so uh, let's pray before we get into the passage and ask for God's blessing. Please pray with me. Father, thank you that you have gifted us this opportunity to look at the word, uh, the word about your son, who is the word, Lord, the word embodied. We thank you that Jesus, uh, your perfect communication to us is also your sovereignly appointed king for us, Lord. We thank you that he is our Lord. And we thank you, O Jesus, that we can pray to you too. We thank you that you hear us as we pray to your father. And we thank you uh, for giving us your Holy Spirit who enables us to be in fellowship with you. Oh God, we love you, Lord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We pray today, as we look at the passage of Scripture before us, that you would allow us to see Jesus Christ uh, clearly and to worship him in our hearts and to be transformed by him. Uh, for, for you to receive praise and honor from us, for us to be confident as we live as your people in this world, and um, just for uh, the benefit of the world at large, we pray all of this. Amen. All right, we're looking at Mark 11. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. 
And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers? And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed is withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. And they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him, and they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. We get a passage today where there's action that goes back to back to back to back almost uh, in that Jesus first enters Jerusalem and goes into the temple. And then as it says in verse 11, it was already late, it probably means it was nighttime. So he leaves the temple and he goes to Bethany with the 12 and then he wakes up the next morning and he has this encounter with this fig tree. And then he goes back to the temple, and then later he goes back to the fig tree. So back to back to back to back, if that's not too many backs to back. But um, to back, no. Uh, we, we have this uh, structure for us today in the passage, and we want to kind of track with what's going on with, with that in mind. And so... We'll just, we'll just begin with, with verse 1 there. Jesus is drawing near to Jerusalem. Now, in each of the gospel accounts, there comes a point where Jesus begins to head to Jerusalem. And now Mark is clear that it's with chapter 11 that that is what Jesus is doing. He is heading to Jerusalem. And we know, if we've read any of the gospel accounts, if we're familiar with what's going on, Jesus is going to Jerusalem intentionally in order to die a sacrificial death on behalf of God's people. That's that's what this king is preparing to do, especially as Mark 11 opens. And so as he's uh, riding in on this uh, donkey, this colt, uh, he is fulfilling scripture. Um, we don't see that quite as clearly as in Matthew, the parallel account in Matthew, where there's a little more detail provided there. But that's, that's what Jesus is doing. And the people are shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, verse 9. 
And blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Now, it's interesting that the people identify Jesus with God's chosen king. But remember, it's only been Jesus' disciples whom he has discipled to enable them to understand what it means that he is king. Remember our turning point in Mark's gospel back in chapter 8, sort of toward the end of the chapter, where Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, which again just means God's anointed king. It's the, it's the Greek equivalent of the term Messiah, the Christ. It's, it, it's, he, it's a term that just means that Jesus is the king. And so now the people are saying, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David as Jesus is approaching Jerusalem. And so they have a conception of who Jesus is as king, but it doesn't involve what Jesus has been teaching his disciples in chapter 8, chapter 9, and chapter 10 of Mark, that he would be the kind of king that would suffer and die and then on the third day rise again. They haven't heard Perhaps willingly, they haven't heard the crowds this about the king. They haven't understood this about God's chosen king. But the disciples are getting it bit by bit. And so Jesus goes into the temple in Jerusalem, verse 11. He looks around at everything. And it's already late. And he goes to Bethany with the twelve. Now, note that Jesus here isn't immediately responding to what he encounters in the temple. We get a sense of what it is he has encountered in the next section, or the two sections later, really, if we're, if we're grouping them by paragraph. Not section 12 to 14, verses 12 to 14, but 15 uh, to 19. But before we, we get a picture of, before we see and encounter what it is that Jesus encountered, we get this occasion in verses 12 to 14 that Jesus encounters a fig tree while he's hungry and he finds no fruit on the tree even though it's the season for figs. And so he curses this fig tree. May you never, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. Verse 14. And his disciples hear of it. So, uh, there's a reason why not only Jesus encounters these things as he does, but there's also a reason why Mark tells us about them in this way. And I think what's happening here is Jesus is cursing the people of Israel who do not want the true king that God has chosen for them. And it's represented in the way that he has come. The, the kingdom of God is at hand, Mark chapter 1, verse 15. The kingdom of God is at hand. He has come, and they're not going to receive him. Strangely enough, the people that have just been praising God, apparently, for Jesus' coming as the king, are just a couple chapters later going to participate in his death. And so Jesus is cursing those, I think, in a metaphorical sense here, who ought to be ready to bear fruit. Their king is now among them, so to speak, and they ought to be prepared to bear fruit in his world, but they're not. And we get that confirmed for us, if you will, in what follows, verses 15 through 19, where he re-enters the temple and we see what it was that he likely encountered the night before, if it was just the night before. 
where he first went in at nighttime. And notice how Jesus was collected uh, and he was calm enough to leave the temple and to consider how he would respond. This is big for us, especially as we know from this that Jesus isn't some hothead. Jesus is somebody who is very deliberate and very thoughtful in how he approaches the situation, especially in verses 15 to 19. He starts uh, angrily responding to this situation that he encounters, where there are people that have turned his father's house, which is supposed to be a house of prayer for all the nations, as it says in verse 17, into a den of robbers, where people are just trying to rip off others, selling pigeons and selling uh, whatever they can to get money. Uh, By the way, you would sell pigeons to those who were too poor to purchase a a larger animal to sacrifice when you go to the temple for for Passover or just at any point. It would be a pigeon that would have to be offered uh, if you were poor. And so we get the sense that the fact that it's a den of robbers comes through and that people are raising up prices uh, to, to get what they can from the poor who are coming to offer a sacrifice. And not only that, but, but the people at large are, are at fault here because they're not purchasing their sacrifice before coming to the temple. They're, it's almost like they've created this McDonald's-type atmosphere where you're, you're hungry, you show up, you grab your burger real quick, and, and you go. In, in this case, you, you need to bring a sacrifice to the temple. You show up, you pay real quick, you offer your sacrifice, and you're good to go. It's an offense to God, and it's a denigration of what the temple is really meant to be. And Jesus is rightly and patiently good and angry. Good, he's good and angry to draw from that. If you've ever read that book by David Pallison, uh, we can be good and angry if we follow Jesus' example here. If we are able to reflect on the reality of the sin that we see in the world, having obviously for us as sinners already thought through our own sinfulness and taken the plank out of our own eye, uh, we can be angry about the things that we encounter in God's world, especially within the church, within the temple, so to speak, God's, God's people being his temple, within the church. We can be angry, but let's pause for just a moment, though. When, when we are angry and just reflect. Jesus gave us a perfect example. Even though he would have been perfectly right to be angry on the first night at that temple, he, he was able to patiently encounter the next day people who were wrongly defacing the purpose of the temple. And again, his anger is righteous anger. So, Before we can even be rightly angry, we have to first be grateful that Jesus' anger is always perfectly righteous when he is angry. Now, to keep this devotional rather short, I'm going to just jump to the next section there, verses 20 to 25, where Peter and the other disciples recognize that the fig tree that Jesus cursed had withered. And so I won't comment much on what it means that when Jesus says, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Other than to say that the Westminster Shorter Catechism teaches us that prayer is an offering up to God, offering up of our desires to God, uh, 
for things consistent with his will in the name of Christ. So when we're praying, we're praying for things that are consistent with God's will. Uh, and then Jesus says as well something that the catechism captures when he says in verse 25, whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. The catechism touches on that in that same question when it says uh, that prayer also involves confessing of our sins and uh, thanking God, acknowledging God's mercies to us. And so what Jesus is saying here is expressed there in question 98 of the Shorter Catechism, having to study that at the moment, so it's kind of fresh in my mind. But what we're seeing as well in Jesus's words is that forgiveness of sin is at the forefront of him instructing his disciples with regard to him cursing this fig tree. So Jesus isn't this impatient guy who's just hungry and give me food now and if you don't give me my food, I'm angry at you. This is all metaphorical and even at the heart of Jesus cursing this fig tree and metaphorically representing this curse on the God's covenant community, but not true people, not the not the people who are really his, but the people who are kind of collectively around his his true remnant who, who don't have faith in him and are really just out to get the healing and the, the food and all the things he can do. Jesus is still, long-winded sentence there, but Jesus is still willing to forgive people. That's what we see from those verses. He's still ready to forgive people and he's instructing his disciples to forgive as well. And so the curse that Jesus is uttering here, though metaphorical and meant for people who will not repent, uh, is grounded in the reality that Jesus is still ready to forgive people who will turn to him and recognize their need for the kind of king, for the king who would die to forgive people of their sins. And then lastly, uh, we, we have this, uh, this section of text, which I love, but I, I do want to try to end here. So I will just say, Jesus traps the Pharisees. He traps them. Uses sheer logic to just say, hey, you guys tell me uh, where my authority comes from by answering this question. Where does John's authority come from? And they don't want to answer, honestly. And so Jesus says, I'm not going to answer you. You're, you're clearly playing word games and trying to get get out of this. They don't even answer him, right? They're, they're trying to avoid the reality that Jesus is the king. They won't even acknowledge who John is, let alone who Jesus is. So whatever Jesus says isn't going to do it for them. They don't want him as God's anointed king. And that's the heart of the matter. That's, that's who this curse of the fig tree is going to fall upon. People who no matter what, no matter how much logic or reason, no matter how much willingness to forgive you display, uh, no matter how much righteous anger and not wrong anger, not sinful anger, you demonstrate to them for their good and for the good of God's creation, for the good of people at large, no matter how much you show, the curse comes for the people who are unwilling to repent. And we saw that back earlier in, in Jesus' words when he said, when he described what the unforgivable sin was. Uh, this is what it is on full display here, demonstrated by these uh, priests and scribes and elders 
that, that come up to Jesus with this question and are unable to interact with him and his question because of their hardness of heart. So let's pray to God that he would keep us from ever being that way, uh, that we would be dependent on him and rejoice in God's King, Jesus, today and evermore. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that we've had in your word where we've been able to interact with your son by hearing from him. And we pray responding rightly to him. We pray that we would be the kind of people who respond to your will for us to be humble and repentant people depending on you. Thankful that you forgive us of our sins as we come to you in the name of Jesus, the one who came as your king to die for us, to to wipe us clean and to give us his righteousness. He doesn't only cleanse us, he gives us righteousness fully, the, the full amount we need to be righteous before you always. That's what Jesus gives us, Lord, and we thank you for that. We pray that we would see him as king today more fully than we did yesterday, Lord, that we would be righteously angry about the sin in our lives and in the lives of others, that we would care about them and love them and want them to be brought under the leadership of the true king, Jesus, uh, more fully today uh, for his glory and for their good, for our good. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm thankful that you were able to join us today for our look at Mark chapter 11. We're going to be back in 1 Samuel again tomorrow. I hope you'll join us then. But as you go out into the day, remember, Jesus is Lord and he stands ready to forgive us. So let's not harden our hearts against him, even if we know him already. When he calls us to something, if you hear his voice, obey him for your good and for his glory. God bless you, brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm.